So over the last uh, few weeks, we have been in a series looking at, uh, outside of Jesus, the most prominent figure in the New Testament, and that is Paul. And we've been looking at him from how we are first introduced to him uh, early in the book of Acts, and we've been looking at pulling out uh, and trying to look at how the events of Saul, as we're introduced to him, uh, and he's still called Saul in the sections that we've been in so far, uh, what we can learn from that and what we can take from that. So again today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, third week in a row, as we have walked through um, some of the uh, significant happenings with him, uh, and we're going to continue that as we finish Acts chapter, or finish this section of Acts chapter 9 today. So let me just give you a recap, kind of what we've talked about, in case you've been in and out, or you're a guest, or you haven't heard a lot of this series. When we're introduced to Saul, uh, it's under this context of, a, of the quick rise of this new religion. For them, it's called the way. We know it as Christianity today. It unsettled the religious establishment in Jerusalem because a lot of those first believers were converting from Judaism to the way. They were converting from the Old Testament law to then following Jesus as the Messiah. And so in a city like Jerusalem that has religion uh, and, and the practice of their religion and their everyday life and their politics and their government all wrapped in together, it was incredibly unsettling, especially to those that had a lot to lose by the rise of this new religion. And that would have been mostly your uh, established people in religious power because they were losing daily influence, they were losing religious influence, and they were also losing um, money, you know, because of the people that were converting into this new religion. And when we meet this man named Saul, he was zealous for his religion. Oftentimes the word zealous is, uh, has kind of a negative connotation to it because when we're zealous for something, like we're beyond passionate, like we're just obsessed, uh, and uh, Saul believed that he was doing the right thing, and uh, there's a warning there that we can believe in something sincerely, but be sincerely wrong. Uh, just because we feel it in our heart doesn't mean it's right. Just because we have deep emotion tied to a deep emotion tied to it doesn't mean it's the right thing. Doesn't mean that it's true. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily beneficial. So Saul becomes um, a persecutor, uh, openly antagonistic against the early church, and so he has been able to go to the high priest. He's been able to get their permission and even written orders to arrest those that profess Jesus, imprison them, even to the point of bringing those that are outside of Jerusalem back to Jerusalem, all to make a point that this is not a guy to follow. And we're going to try to stop this movement before it ever really gets off the ground. So Saul is on his way to Damascus when his life is suddenly changed and we read a couple of weeks ago he has this encounter with the risen Jesus and Jesus says why are you persecuting me 
and then we see that Paul or Saul gives this recognition that it is the risen Lord, it is the risen Jesus. And so then Saul begins to proclaim the very one he stood against. So he goes from one who is persecuting the early church to then proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And there's a lot of people that are taken aback by this. They're not quite sure, you know, what happened to this guy that was around when Stephen got stoned. Now he's proclaiming the very one that he stood against. And one of the things that we're going to dive into today is that Saul encounters several setbacks as he attempts to share his faith with other people. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 9. With this under, with, and try to get at this understanding that when it comes to God, timing is everything. When it comes to God, timing is everything. Uh, and his timing matters. His timing matters as it relates to who is involved in his work of making sure that the world hears about the message of Jesus, where that work takes place, and how that work is received. Now, before we read our text, I want to ask you to do something. I want those of you over here to switch places. No, I'm kidding. Everybody went. <laughs> if there is something that you have been praying for, that has not yet been answered. I want you to think about what that prayer has been and, and, and think about that in light of what we're going to talk about today. Or if there's something that you have been very passionate about, like you just believe in something very firmly, I mean, whether it's like a ministry, uh, whether it's somewhere that you believe God has uh, given you a passion to be involved in, or somewhere you want to you give of your talent, your time, your energy, uh, your involvement, your investment, and, and you've had this passion, but nothing's happened with it yet, like you're not really sure why you haven't been able to put this passion in, into action, um, then, 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 then think about that as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. And here's the third one. If you have put something into action, whether it's a passion or you believe God has opened up an opportunity for, uh, for ministry, for service, and it hasn't gone well, like you've just been frustrated, like, like you know, like I, I thought God opened a door and I said yes and I went into this room and I opened my mouth and everybody looked at me like I had four heads. Like, you know, it just did not go well. Like you said something or you ask a question and there's crickets. Or you tried to do something and nothing came of it. You tried to do something and people didn't understand. You tried to do something and people resisted. And you believe that God opened that door. You believe that it was God that laid that on your heart. And you did it. And nothing where, where you can see anything good that came of it. It was nothing but frustration and what felt like a setback. Think about that as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. Because what we see in, in this remaining section uh, dealing with Saul in Acts chapter 9 is there's something there for us about setbacks and God's timing. And I want us to see that as we walk through this. So let's start in verse 20. I read a couple of these verses, but we're going to pick back up there and then keep going. Immediately he, 
Saul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, which was the local house of worship you know, uh, for the Jewish people, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. I mean, legitimate question, very fair, given Saul's background as the lead guy on the persecution effort. So they have reason to question. Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now, let's not skip past this. Let's park here just a second. I want you to think about what Luke is, is saying to us about Saul's preaching. Here's a guy that's gone from the chief persecutor of Christians to now advocating for Jesus being the Messiah. And it says that the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proof. Paul knew our Old Testament, they would have called it the law, but I mean, um, he knew that so well because of his background that he could go to, to what we know as the Old Testament and show how Jesus was actually the Messiah, prophesied about, promised about by God himself for generation upon generation. And he was so convincing that none of the Jews in Damascus could even mount a defense against what he said. Have you ever been with somebody uh, in, a, you know, in a work setting, in a family setting, or wherever, and the evidence that they brought, whatever the situation was, was so convincing that you're like, I'm, I got nothing. Like, I, you know, like I just, I've got nothing. Like, you're, you're, you're on it. You're spot on it. Everything you've got is, is exactly right. It's exactly spot on. So he's that convincing, that thorough with his evidence. But look at what happens. After a while, some of the Jews plotted to kill him. This means cancel culture isn't new. Seriously. I mean, isn't that what cancel culture is? Like, I don't care that what you say might be the truth, but I'm going to disagree with it because I don't want to align with it, and because I don't want to align with it, I'm not just going to disagree with you, I'm going to remove you. Think about being so blinded by what you want that you will remove the truth even when you know it's the truth. It's that uncomfortable. That's exactly where Paul found himself. So some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So, I mean, so they're so serious about this that they're going to wait by the entrance and exit of the city itself and make sure that if he tries to sneak out, they're going to be able to catch him and they're going to put him to death. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Now, 
when they say large baskets, some commentators felt like maybe this might have been talking about a, a fishing net, something that was more soft, you know, that would be easy to kind of close him up in and lower him down. I mean, I can't imagine, it's hard for me to imagine a basket big enough to hold a, an, a, an adult human being. And I feel sorry for anybody that would have to lower my chunky rear end over a wall. Just saying. Whether it was an actual basket that was rigid and hard or something that was pliable, the, the, the point that Paul is making is that, you know, there, there, there was a way in which they found to get him out and they used what they had at their disposable to, disposal to get him outside the city wall in such a way that he was not discovered. So when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, now think about that. Luke is, is telling this very succinctly and very quickly. He's fled Damascus and he arrives in Jerusalem, just like that. He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Again, that's legit. Think about what Saul did. Think about what they knew about Saul. Think about his reputation. Think about what people heard. Think about what people saw. They had legitimate reason to question whether or not Saul was sincere. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Do you see a pattern here? When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his home town. So there's a couple of things that I want us to look at, or a few things that I want us to look at, like what happens when things don't go according to plan? And, and, and like, I'm, like I mentioned earlier, those things that you've prayed for, have passion for, have tried to do. Because look, there's a lot of things in life that don't go according to plan. I get that. Like we get up on a, on a, on a morning and we think our day is going to go this way and something hijacks it and it goes this way. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things, but I'm talking about in our spiritual lives. I'm talking about in our relationship with God. I'm talking about those times when you get serious about something in your faith and, and it seems like things get harder and more frustrating after you've gotten serious about your relationship with God than it was before. When our spiritual life doesn't go according to plan, what can we do? What can we learn from Saul that's very important? The first thing that I think Saul models for us or shows us when things don't go according to plan, Saul shows the depend Saul shows, say that three times fast, shows the importance of a dependent spirit. A dependent spirit. Um, and this is what we read. During the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. So the, 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 the Jews in Damascus want to murder Saul, they're watching the gates. This is the only way out. Saul has to have help. 
And why is this important? I think it's for this reason. If there's one spirit that the Lord cannot work with, it's an independent spirit. Now, one of the things that we know to be true about, uh, about our life and growing up and becoming adults is like, you know, uh, wh- how many times have your kids, you know, wanted you to show something that they've learned how to do all by themselves? Tying their shoes, you know, getting themselves dressed, you know, something that you've asked them to do and they did it well and they did it all by themselves. And so we, we kind of move into our adult years and a lot, of, a lot of people will take on this mentality that if anything good's going to happen, if anything's going to happen in my life, I've got to make it happen. I'm going to learn it, I'm, I'm going to study it, I'm going to go after it. Nobody's going to stand in my way, nobody's going to hold me back, nobody's going to hold me down. And it develops this independent spirit, which in a lot of ways can be a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he cannot work with an independent spirit. Because an independent spirit says, I'm going to do it my way, in my time, I'm going to do it the way I envision it, I'm going to do the way I see it, and God is like, you need to hold up just a second. Because this is my kingdom. You're doing my work in my kingdom. So it's going to be done my way because it's my kingdom. We don't like that. We, we have a hard time with that. Like, we have a hard time giving up control. We have a hard time giving up the reins. And so the one spirit God can't work with is an independent spirit. Some of you in this room have got something in your life that you have not been able to, to have a victory in, that you've not been able to overcome because you haven't had a dependent spirit. You've had an independent spirit because you think a dependent spirit shows weakness. It actually takes more strength to be willing to be dependent on God or others than it is to be independent. Think about that. Think about that. You see, if we're not dependent on others, it's doubtful we're dependent on the Lord too. Now, let me say this when I say dependent on others. I'm not talking about using people. If your legs aren't broke and you're thirsty, get up and get something to drink yourself. If you're able to do it and you're able to go out and get a job and earn a living, do that. Don't be dependent on the government. You know, I'm not talking about using. I'm talking about dependent. Because look, there are times that you need the help of other people. You need the help of other people. My wife doesn't like it when I get on a ladder and she's not at home. She doesn't. You know, because in in her mind, you know, like what, what might happen, you know, something could slip, something could fall, and I'm not there, and I get it. So one of the ways that that I can be dependent on her is, hey, will you come hold this and just make it steady while I get up there and change the light bulb, clean out the gutter, whatever it may be. You know, there's times being dependent on each other is not a bad thing. Husbands and wives, you have different perspectives, different talents, different abilities. There's times you may need to just say, look, I need your perspective on this. What do you think about this? How do you see this? What what do you think might be going on that I'm not seeing? There's a dependency there. Paul could not get out of Damascus on his own. He had to have 
help. And I'm going to tell you, if we're not willing to be dependent on others, I doubt we're being dependent on the Lord. Those two really do go hand in hand. And so God cannot work with an independent spirit. I will... (laughs) It's, 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 it's so funny at times how we take on the posture, God, I'm going to do this for you, so please bless it. Rather than saying, God, how do we need to do this in your name? Where do we need to do this in your name? So Paul shows the importance about when things weren't going according to plan, he needed to show a dependent spirit. Number two. Another thing about not going according to plan is Saul experiences the power and the grace of a second chance. This is what we read in verse 27. Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. Now, Luke doesn't say whether or not Barnabas was in Damascus or if Barnabas has heard from a guy, you know, the old REO Speedwagon, heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend. I'm not going to try to sing it, don't worry. We don't know, but Barnabas is willing to go to the apostles on Saul's behalf because of their skepticism, their legitimate skepticism. And so Saul, in this moment, because things aren't going according to plan, look, Saul thought he could just go into Jerusalem and get an audience with the apostles. Now, I can't even imagine what Jerusalem was like in the days after Acts chapter 2. The church is exploding. People are converting to Christianity everywhere. The city has been turned upside down, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense and in a religious sense. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like for these apostles to be right there in the thick of it, and in comes a guy who used to persecute people for believing in Jesus. Now he wants to talk to us. They would have told their assistant, uh, I'm booked till 2025. They would have found every reason to say, bigger name on the other line. Uh, You know, it's like if you try to call um, somebody to get something fixed. We're covered up. We got all we can do. Y'all have experienced that. Don't sit there and look at me like that. (laughs) You know, it's like uh, nothing about what had happened with Saul says that the apostles are going to give him a minute's notice until Barnabas comes in. You see, here's something at work here, and I think this is important for us to understand. For those that have lived hard and had a rebellious, godless reputation, conversion is usually looked at with skepticism. Maybe you're one of those people that at one point you were godless, you were rebellious, everybody knew, like, you know, if, if something happened in just the right way, the earth would open and pull you straight to you know where. I mean, you were that godless, and God got a hold of your life, and the first people you tried to tell, they were like, oh, really? Oh, that's nice. Hope that works out for you. And they walk away going, there is no way that person found religion because we're just naturally skeptical for people that can be that rebellious to live that 
godless. It's just hard for us to get our mind around, like, is, is this really a, a, a true conversion, or are they trying to score points? Are they trying to stay out of jail? Are they trying to lessen their probation? We've got all kinds of reasons why, but yet, that's a legitimate part. There's people that are just going to be, you know what, I, I just don't believe it yet. I'll believe it when I see it. But one of the great things about the way Luke writes this with Barnabas is that every believer who is sincere about their conversion will need and will have a Barnabas come into their life. So if somebody lived very godless and, and, and very hard and very rebellious and God gets a hold of their life and they come into a church and they start attending a Bible study and they start being willing to serve other people and they're consistently at church and they're having conversations with godly people, somebody's going to notice and start to say, this is legit. So when somebody on the fringe starts to question or somebody in a core of leadership starts to wonder, like, is this really sincere? A Barnabas will step up and say, wait a minute, this is real. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've witnessed it. And so Barnabas goes to the apostles. So Barnabas had the kind of reputation with the apostles. They took his word for it. Why do you think we put references on resumes? Because there's times we need people to advocate on our behalf. And, and, and we want the people, we put the people on the resume that make us look good. Right? You know, like I got a list of this many, but I only want to put this many. I mean, that's really important. That's what, one of the reasons we do that. And God will do the same thing. He will put somebody in your life that will advocate for what God has done in your life. When people are questioning and people are skeptical. So again, Paul had a setback. You know, he walked in, thought he, could, thought he could get an audience with the apostles, and it wasn't until a Barnabas stepped in. And you know what? Some of you in this room, you've got something on your mind. God's got a hold of your heart. There's something God's wanting you to do, and you've been stymied every time you've tried. Maybe you haven't waited for that Barnabas to come along. Maybe that's why you've been stymied. Barnabas hasn't entered your life yet. Or you've been resisting Barnabas because you've got an independent spirit. Here's the third thing that Paul shows us. Saul is an example of the importance of God's wisdom and God's timing. Saul is an example of God's wisdom and God's timing. Listen to verse 30. When the believers heard about this, now that was the Greek-speaking Jews wanting to murder Saul, same thing that happened in Damascus, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Paul's, Saul's come full circle. He was born in Tarsus, went to Jerusalem as a teenager to study Old Testament law, to one day become a Pharisee who then is converted because of an encounter with Jesus and then starts to proclaim the very Jesus that he was persecuting and they try to murder him in Damascus and they try to murder him in Jerusalem. So the only thing they can think to do is send him to Tarsus. Let's just get him out of here. 
Let's get him away from the pressure cooker, away from all the activity, away from all the chaos, away from all the, just away from everything that is going on. And I intentionally waited to share this verse. Listen to what verse 31 says. The church then had peace. Ouch. Can you think of somewhere that you were forced out of that got better after you left? That stings. That would sting. That will sting if that ever, if, ha if it hasn't happened, but may happen. The church then had peace through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Not the fear of death, not the fear of persecution, not the fear of religious leaders, not the fear of the high priest, not the fear of the law. They feared the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. I just wonder sometimes... If that same antagonistic spirit toward early Christians, Paul didn't still have as now a preacher of the gospel of Jesus. Because he started preaching in Damascus, they wanted to kill him. Starts preaching in Jerusalem, they want to kill him. But it says after he's removed, the way Luke records it, after he's removed, there's peace and they grow. Think about this if you're Saul. How would you feel? How would you feel about that? I mean, there, there, there's a lot of reasoning here to be discouraged. There's a lot of reason here to be frustrated. You know what? In our entitlement mentality that is pervasive in our culture today, people that, that would have something like this happen, like what happened to Saul, they would carry that anger the rest of their life because they think it's owed to them to be in leadership. They think it's owed to them to be in positions of influence. They think it's owed to them to be in the position and not even recognize that even in the midst of these setbacks and being removed from the center of action, God is still at work. And I want to tell you, those of you that are praying for things that haven't been answered yet and there's a passion you have for something in ministry that the door hasn't opened yet and you've been trying to do something in the name of God that hasn't bared fruit, that has been frustrating, that's been stymied seemingly at every turn, we've got to remember that just because things don't go according to plan doesn't mean God isn't working. If God hadn't answered your prayer, he's still working. If that door hasn't opened for you to put your passion into action, God is still working. And if you've been frustrated by your efforts to put that passion into action, God is still working. Now let's just recap this. So we see kind of listed out, Paul has to flee Damascus because they want to kill him. He gets a skeptical welcome in Jerusalem. He's forced out of Jerusalem. Now he is out of the public eye, back in his hometown, making tents. That's what his father did. 
So not only is he out of the public eye, he's not even, it, it, it doesn't even, the way Luke records it, he's not even preaching. He's not even leading. He's not doing anything. That, that's, that's, that's the way it seems. And at this point, Saul disappears from the record of Acts and the activity of the early church for the next three chapters. This is the last we see of him for a while. So at first, if you're reading through Acts for the first time, it's kind of like, you know, Saul came onto the scene, caused the scene, and then left the scene, right? You know? But there's more going on here. You see, Saul takes a back seat, and he's seemingly back where it all began, and to many, this would seem like a rejection, no one wants Paul around. No one wants Saul around. How do we get him away? He's causing too much conflict. And again, just so you have the visual, here's Damascus. Then he goes to Jerusalem. Then they take him to Caesarea, where more than likely he was put on a boat and sent all the way up here. See how far out of the activity of Acts he is? I mean, he's way out of the scene way out of the scene. One of the things that reminds us of, and, and I think is something to remember, and I'm talking about, again, I'm talking about our spiritual lives here. I'm talking about our spiritual lives. I'm talking about the life that we live for God. I'm talking about the willingness to give ourselves to God and let him use us in the ways that he sees fit. We can do the right thing at the wrong time. Did Paul do the wrong thing by preaching Jesus in Damascus and Jerusalem? Absolutely not. I mean, we're all called to share our faith. We're all supposed to be people who share our faith in Jesus Christ with other people. That's not the wrong thing to do. But there was something about the timing that wasn't right because it wasn't bringing people to Christ. It was causing conflict. It was rising up a spirit of antagonism. It was rising up a spirit of, of violence. And, and that's not something that, 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 that God will condone. That's not something that's a part of the work of God. It's, it is to be a gospel of peace. Nothing else. We can do the right thing at the wrong time. You see, when things aren't going the way you think, they should go, when things aren't going the way you've planned for them to go, when things aren't going the way you've hoped for them to go, seek him. Because there's a reason. There's a reason why they're not going the way you planned, the way you sketched it out, the way you hoped they had go. And what we do, and, 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 and I, I would, I, if I was a betting man, I would bet I'm right on this every time. When we get frustrated that God doesn't seem to be working, we don't seek him, we just stop. We get frustrated, we get discouraged, we take a step back, and we go, you know what, I guess this wasn't the right place. I guess this wasn't what God wanted me to do. I guess I'm not smart enough, or I guess I'm not talented enough, and I just need to be around the right people. I wasn't around the right people, so it's other people's fault. And if I just get around the right leadership, then the right things would happen. And if people will just get out of my way and let me do what I believe I'm supposed to do on all of those things, we're not seeking God. We're trying to manufacture opportunities and manufacture results, and those never work in the kingdom of God. Ever work. 
Sometimes it may look like on the surface that it is, but it really doesn't. In spite of our best defense and our best rationalizations, God's timing is always best. Always. You see, there's two things that we don't think about when our efforts are stymied, when our efforts don't bring fruit, when we seem to keep hitting a closed door or a barrier or a blockade. There's not people that are supportive. There's not people that are coming alongside. We're not really seeing results. You see, if we're outside of God's timing, we, we forget that God's doing one of two things, and it could be one or both. Number one, if things are not going the way you plan them to be, God's still got something to do in you before it's the right time. It may very well be that there was still a spirit inside of Paul that had to be broken, and being sent to Tarsus wasn't a rejection or a removal. It was a time of cleansing and purging of something that wasn't godly. So the very things that are not working out might be because God is trying to show you something, reveal something to you, purge something out of you. That's why it's important when things aren't going the way you planned to seek him. Don't get frustrated and quit. Just stop and seek him. Hit the pause button and seek him. Call a timeout and seek him. The other thing that he might be doing is preparing the others that you're going to witness to, minister to, serve, and engage. He's preparing them for what you're going to share with them. Because you can be full of, of energy and vigor and, and resolve and go after it, but God hasn't finished the work of preparation in those that will hear from you. Those that will receive the message of Jesus, receive the love of Jesus through an act of service or ministry. And if God's doing both of those at the same time, he's preparing you while he's preparing them, we've really got to hit the pause button and make sure that it's the right time. Because every single one of us in our human mind can give a defense and a rationalization for why I'm doing it, where I'm doing it, the way I'm doing it, the reason I'm doing it, that everything ought to be just fine. It ought to just line up. But if it's not God's time, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. When Saul comes back onto the scene, then we begin to see what happens when it's God's time. That's where we're going to pick up in the narratives of Saul, uh, you know, in, in, in the weeks ahead. We're going to see what happens when it's God's time, not Saul's time. When it's God's time, not human time. And that's why it's so important in our relationship with God that we just don't say, God, this is what I'm going to do. It's, God, what would you have me do? God, this is where I'm going to go. God, where would you have me go? God, this is what I'm going to say. God, what would you have me say? It's the importance of a, de of a dependent spirit with people willing to advocate on our behalf and being willing to say, God, when it's your time, I'll go, but I want to know it's your time 
and not mine. It's that important. Could good things happen? Yeah. But would the God-sized things happen? Probably not. We underestimate what God can do in a short amount of time when it's his time. And it doesn't matter your age, and it doesn't matter what door God opens. He will do more through you in his time with the right preparation, the proper preparation, than you'll ever be able to generate on your own. And that's one of the great lessons we see in Saul in this part of Acts chapter 9. Take it to heart. Think about those prayers that haven't been answered, those passions that haven't been put into practice, those passions that keep getting stonewalled and stopped every time you try to do something. There's a reason. Seek God. Seek his timing. Seek his blessing and empowerment, and it will happen. But it's his way because it's his kingdom and we are his people. Let's pray. Father, I lift up those in this room that are struggling with what we've talked about tonight. Seeing, sensing, and knowing your timing. Wanting to make a difference with their life. Wanting to be an instrument and a vehicle of your grace and love and mercy. And everything that they seem to pray for or try just doesn't work out. God, it's not because you're not wanting to use them. It's not because you haven't placed that in their heart. It's because they're trying to do it their way. In their own time. Lord, that they would be willing to lay it back at your feet. And say, Lord, I'm here when it's time. Do what you need to do in me. Do what you need to do in others but I give it back to you. Father, that we would recognize the opportunities you open before us, not the ones we try to manufacture. Lord, that we would be willing to trust your leadership and your timing for those God-sized things that you've placed in our heart. Lives to be changed, people to come to know Jesus, the hurting to be healed, the forgotten to be remembered, the lost to be found, the hopeless to find hope. God, that's what you want to do through each and every one of us. May it be in your time. May it be in your time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.